The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Don't use a cold open of us talking about doing cold open. We can't, we can't, we can't break the fourth wall. Yeah. <laughs> Kia ora koutou. this is Con by Lunchtime. I'm Toby Manhire with Ben Thomas, Annabelle Lee Mather. Thank God it's February. It's very busy January. Um, shout out to Samuel, who is not here today because he is rescuing his home, which is marooned somewhere out in West Auckland, I think. Tiahe, thank you for stepping in. Kilda, Morena. To produce Kilda. us. Really is an underwater paradise here in Auckland at the moment. We'll come to that. We'll talk all about that, the response to the floods, um, the general sense of gloom, all of that. But first, let's talk um, about central politics, which obviously has a crossover into the response to the Auckland flooding. And let's talk about Chris Hipkins' first few days as Prime Minister. Let's talk about the polls. Let's talk about the reshuffle, which came yesterday. And I know how you get excited by a reshuffle, Ben. My column is just two two weeks too early. Did you you predicted some of the stuff right, didn't you? This time, I I got the low hanging fruit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it in summary? <laughs> Basically, as predicted on this podcast, um, Aisha Varel was made. Minister of Health, replacing Andrew Little. She's a real-life doctor, a physician, so the sector will like that um, a lot. They will prefer her bedside manner to Andrew Little, who pushed through some reforms, was quite a hard case on on pay and shortages, but also achieved some things. Meanwhile, in education, Jan Tanetti, who mm. guested on our podcast when we did that live in Tauranga. She's a massive fan of the show. Uh, she's, uh, is she? She, she? she got on She got on the <laughs> Gone By Lunchtime elevator to success. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tried yeah. by so many before. Yes. Yeah. yes, normally they're our producers though, aren't they? Rather yeah, but look, ne- never, never, too, never too late or too early. Mm-hmm. Um, she replaces Chris Hipkins, who has been reshuffled to the role of Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> hasn't taken on any other of the what he called symbolic gesture roles with an accidental burn of <laughs> Helen Clark, <laughs> Jacinda Ardern, John Key. Uh, Michael Wood is another climber. He moved up seven spaces and gets associate finance and a new Auckland minister role. Maybe we want to talk about that a bit more. Did he get something else new as well? He hung on to immigration, workplace relations and transport. So he's got a shitload. He got associate finance. He got associate finance. Which is a right. good place to be if you're a minister. Um, 
I mean, put, puts him very much in the inner circle. I'm not sure what the latest is on kitchen cabinet. I assume he'd probably be in that now. Well, H Hipkins talked about the leadership group being relatively the same and being those top five mm -hmm. of, uh, of himself, Robertson, uh, Carmel Cipollone, Kelvin Davis, and Megan Woods. Okay. Um, Penny Henare lost defence, which was picked up by Andrew Little. Anything else stick out for you, Annabelle? What were your thoughts? Yeah, I thought that one was an was an interesting switch. Um, Penny losing Minister of Defence, where I think he's done quite a good job, seems well liked, sort of in his wheelhouse. Um, I would have thought that perhaps ACC would go to Little. I think with his union background you know, understanding the challenges that workers face after they've been injured, um, that perhaps he would be better suited to a role like that. Mm. I think, you know, there's lots of evidence that ACC is underperforming in terms of, you know, having an equitable approach to Māori, Pacifica, men, women, all of that stuff. And so I would have thought that um, that would have been a, a good role for him. So I was surprised to... Doesn't strike that. me as one of the most sought-after portfolios. We're, it's a we're tough removing defence and we're offering you instead ACC. I, mm. I think that ACC is actually something Little would be very good at. Um, and I think privately he's got some ideas on how, how to fix it. Um, what sort of has happened is that Hipkins, and this was something that I addressed in my column, which was immediately superseded by <laughs> the Prime Minister's resignation. But when Penny Henry's got ACC, not Little. Yeah, Penny Henry's yeah. got ACC. Yeah. Um, which is that these reshuffles, they've, you know, they're the sorts of things, they're kind of like... Um, it's almost like sort of fourth formers ranking celebrities in terms of attractiveness or something. <laughs> it's this thing that a lot of thought goes into that nobody else really pays attention to sort of outside. But you can see in in the in the movements that Hipkins has tried to sort of do what he, you know, a refresh to try and make the government look like it's got a bit of a new coat of paint, um, particularly in those problem areas that have been drawing a lot of attention. Three Waters is the obvious one, which we'll come back to. Um, but health, where, you know, little has been in sort of, you know, kind of fiery public confrontation with the nurses. Um, and a courageous prime minister would have kept him there and given him defence mm. to sort out the issue once and for all. <laughs> <laughs> Sim <laughs> in the Air Force. <laughs> but the, but uh, you can see that, you know, there has been actually, uh, not ruthless, but um, certainly dedicated culling of what used to be called sort of deadwood, the people that they don't see a future for and don't see a particular role for in the election. Has so, there, though? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, well, mean, I, I mean, it, 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 was, it, not, it hasn't been widespread, but you can see it where it's happened. So Phil, poor old Phil, Phil Twyford, Twyford finally shuffled off from his beloved disarmament portfolio where he's apparently been the only minister who's actually ever done anything and sort of... On uh, disarmament. On disarmament. Been working really hard. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, apparently sort of, you know, when he got the portfolio, some officials had been kind of comas at him fat for a few years, just sort of a cryogenic freeze <laughs> was sort of woken up, you know, and kind of <laughs> briefed about the end of the Cold War and then <laughs> set about their duty <laughs> with disarmament. And and he got a lot of respect for what he did in you know, reinvigorating that reinvigorating that portfolio. Hipkins has obviously thought that, you know, a minister who had three years in cabinet, he actually, you know, had some very solid policy wins, but um 
unenviably was the face for these complete dream policies like 100,000 homes for Kiwi Build and Auckland Light Rail in three years. And he was, he was hubristic. You know, we talked about that. He is five a, years ago on this podcast. Oh, look, he's a man. While he was still in there, he was he was promising the sky. Phil Twyford will never die from a medical lack of self confidence. Like <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think you know, even a year into Kiwi Build, the only person who believed that Phil could produce a hundred thousand homes was Phil. <laughs> and um, okay, but 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 but, but at the but, same time, but, so he's shuffled right, off. But, Phil Twyford, but in who terms else? of the who reg- else is being shuffled off the mortal coil. Of well, politics, so Nanaya has been allowed to keep. Foreign affairs, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, local government obviously taken away. But w- what's happened is that some of these, you know, more senior members, and Little is one of them, Nanaya Mahuda is another one, have been kind of, you know, pushed out of the front bench mm. because in in beehive speak and in the political, you know, insider land, you know, there's a massive difference between being number 16 and number five, right? That's front bench versus back bench, mm. uh, sorry, second bench. And... So, you know, in the calculus that the Prime Minister is approaching this, he's thinking, well, Kitty Allen is now seven. That's a big sign of rejuvenation for our government. And, Willie and, Jackson has also been promoted to the front Jackson's bench. Another really sign of rejuvenation. Well, I think this is where you see the, the balancing act that he had to do, which is that Penny had defence taken off him and given to Little, and I think that was probably a, that was probably the compensation for Little being a good troop and going to the yeah. second row, yeah. because there is Which nothing allows, that male MPs love more yeah. than being Minister of Defence. Ah. I never got it, because I was never like a military head, you know, yeah. war historian guy when I was a kid, but when you get to Parliament, the way that these people covet... <laughs> Defence portfolio. Chuck on the camos and shake yeah, some hands. Put on a flat you know. jacket. Go and see, go and see uh, the troops, your peers. Just, just heading down to Ohakia. Yeah. Then I might nip over to Finupai. <laughs> and then I'll be in Waiuru. It's, like, it's honestly wild. So I think that was his compensation. It was, take, it was taken away from Peony, who, you know, probably hasn't, well, probably wasn't a strong performer in that portfolio. But it meant a lot to him. I mean, he talked at the time about, him, yeah. you know, yeah. the family links and history. That's right. And, and so that was a blow to him, a blow to Nanaya to be demoted to the second row. And um, local government, inevitable that it was taken off her, but it still does seem like, you know, she was sacked from it, right? Mm. I mean, it was the sensible thing to do from everyone's perspective. But the narrative is she was sacked from mm. local government because essentially that's what I suppose. Happened. I suppose in and, terms and of... so the, the payoff for that is that Kerry goes up from the Māori caucus yeah. onto the front bench. Onto the front bench. And somewhat inexplicably, Willie as well. <laughs> but And, and these, are, these are sort of trade-off things and these are balanced things that you talk about. I guess I, what I, where I would slightly disagree with you is that I think in terms of the decisions that had to be made, mostly because of the portfolios that have been vacated by the now Prime Minister, it was, with, with the possible exception of... Henare losing defence. It was it was a it was a pretty conservative reshuffle, I thought. I don't know if I agree with that. I think there's some quite risky moves in it. Like, for example, <clears throat> I do think that Aisha Varel's appointment as Minister of Health will be warmly received by the health sector. But she mm. is a first term MP and health is a difficult portfolio for even the most seasoned minister. So mm. I think and particularly in the post-COVID environment, to give a role that significant to a first-term MP seems to me quite 
high risk, and I think it maybe speaks to a lack of depth in that department. Um, I think she um, hasn't always performed as well as what perhaps she could, and an example of that would have been the vaping legislation that got pushed through removing like flavoured vapes from dairies, only to then have dairies selling them again by basically building a separate door into their premises. And over the year since that legislation was passed, more than 700 new speciality vape shops were opened up. And when we interviewed her about it on the hui, she wasn't able to really put up a compelling argument about why that was the case. So I think, you know, health is going to be a big issue over the election campaign and I think National will come after her quite hard. So it's a lot of responsibility that's been put on her shoulders. There'll be a lot of expectation for her to smooth over things behind the scene with the sector. Um, she's, she comes with a head start from that. She's a professional. She's been in the sector for a long time. Um, she can leverage personal relationships, her knowledge of the issues. But that said, you know, as you said, Health is basically a black hole portfolio. Mm. It, it has limitless demands in terms of what you could be spending money on and limited funds. It's it's almost the sort of perfect illustration of the problems of government and sort of trade-offs. Mm. And so you can never keep everyone happy in health. You, you, it's just impossible. Mm. And but and yeah, I, th I think Varel has she you know is is probably to be expected from, you know, a research clinician who has been has sort of found herself in, in Parliament mm. um, and as a minister in her first term, she's not the most assured media performer and she's not the most assured sort of, you know, political operative. I mean, makes sense. Mm. And so there will be a lot of expectation that she'll be able to manage things behind the scenes um, because, you know, if things start sort of spilling out into public, she's probably not the safest pair of hands to be fronting, you know. That's right. And, and Andrew Little was, while, while he was, you know, not loved at all within the sector, he was someone who would appear routinely firefighting in the media and elsewhere when these events crop up. You know, like most recently we've got the situation with Dunedin Hospital. That's just the most immediate challenge, but they're just going to keep rolling down the slipway, aren't they? What about Auckland? We're going to talk, I promise, about Auckland at more length lately and uh, shortly, but Michael Wood has been appointed Minister for Auckland, of Auckland, Minister for Auckland issues. I think he's Minister for Auckland. We, um, we noted on this podcast uh, sort of about 300 years or a week ago that Simeon Brown had been announced as in a in a much overlooked because Cinderella Ardern resigned shortly afterwards had been announced as the spokesperson for Auckland, and so now we've got Michael Wood. Michael Wood is going to have to fist fight Wayne Brown and Simeon, uh, one after the other. I suppose is that a good shout? Do you think? And about I mean it's kind of partly symbolic, but also presumably has a coordination role. You know, I think that's how Judith Tizard had it structured back in the Kellen Clark years. It's the, the uh, you know, symbolic. I think that's how they explained it in a press really, release. So. I mean, that was that was pre-Super City, right? So it yeah. was sort of designed in order to, you know, push through that process, which had a whole bunch of councils coming together. Well, this time, what I think, is the I think role it was kind to... of designed to keep Judith Tizard busy, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, you, you, would, you would certainly hope that the Michael Wood role is more of a response to, you know, first of all, what's been happening in Auckland and the fact that Auckland has felt neglected. You know, there is that sort of trope of Jacinda Ardern never visited Auckland during 
during its lockdown. Now, as a media person, I sort of see the sense in that because everyone's locked in their homes. She can't exactly go for a walkabout, right? Like, what does she do? Just walk down an empty street for the cameras? You know, it doesn't really make sense. But there is this perception that the government, and, you know, we got that as well. We got emails from, we got an email from somebody going, can you guys stop talking about the lockdown? Not everyone lives in Auckland. Haters. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and and there is that sort of feeling, you know, that probably coalesced and you know and contributed towards his worship Wayne Brown's victory last year, that um, you know Wellington sort of forgot about Auckland and the the Judith Tizard role, you know, when this this role first existed, really why you know she was, she was endlessly sort of parodied, you know, the Minister of Wine and Cheese, the Minister of blah blah, and it seemed like sort of payoff for one of you know Clark's loyalists basically, but. But Michael Wood's a very different politician from Judith Tizard. You know, he's a very serious operator. There, there will be a question as to, yeah, how it works. Is his role just to make sure that he's bringing in Google alerts from Auckland to Cabinet and saying, hey, have you guys thought of this? On the assumption that a lot of Wellington-based ministers won't have. Um, or, you know, does he get officials supporting him, you know, from whether it's MB, DIA, you know, a kind of um, one of these kind of cross-vote cross, cross, uh, cross and cross-departmental sort of task forces that supposedly the new Public Service Act makes easier. Um, so, you know, s still to be seen. If anyone can make it work, probably Michael Wood. He's been a very capable minister. Uh, looks great with smouldering look under his tousled wet hair and his... Mm. And his bomber jacket, having come from surveying the damage. Yeah, just coming back to your point earlier, Tobe, like he's from Mount Roskill, so I reckon he'll be quite good at fist fights. Um, <laughs> I, I think that it's a wise move. Like Auckland is the economic engine room of Aotearoa, and everywhere you look, we've got major problems and challenges mm. like transport, infrastructure, health, all of that stuff. So I think it's a wise move. And also just bad vibes, like lockdown bad vibes, yeah. bad weather bad vibes. So I think it's a smart move to have a, a minister for Auckland. But what I want to know is, because I saw that Luxon announced a, a um, hunting and fishing portfolio, so why didn't Labour appoint a hunting, oh, a a hunting and fishing Who would that be? minister would, for hunting and would fishing? That be, would that be Michael Wood as well? No, that'd be Karen. That'd be Karen, obviously. <sighs> Karen McNulty. Karen McNulty crashing through into a clearing in the woods in, a, in his ute, <laughs> just running over a <laughs> deer and then just chucking it on the hood. <laughs> McNulty is one of three, I think, new entries. He's, he's in rural affairs. So I think that probably he's, counts. Well, he's local. He's to picks up local, local government, but yeah. he's kind of been doing that. He's been on a permanent tour of the regions, I think, for the his, last his job nine months or something. Go, going and seeing redneck mares and having a pint and yeah. saying, mate, we're not all we're not all <laughs> we're not all bloody, not all lefty, bloody bureaucrats. You know? Yeah. And then um Ginny Anderson, another hut another hut prodigy. Yeah, that was a bit, bit left field. But, uh, but I suppose she's been around for a few, you know, a couple of terms. What are her portfolios again? Mafia, isn't it? What are Digital her economy ones? and communication, seniors, small business, and then a couple of associate portfolios. So it's like, I mean, it's a kind of... Co the kind, kind of, of grab bag you sort you of could, give. You could get outside cabinet a grab bag like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then finally Barbara Edmonds, who was also quite widely tipped and is widely admired, comes in with internal affairs. Yep. Takes that from Jadonetti. And Pacific Peoples. So there we go. Um, 
Let's move on. And, wait, and wait, Dun- can Dun- I Duncan say Weir, something? Interestingly oh. enough, took over the oh. um, the commerce and consumer off. affairs portfolio, which I think Luke Melpis might have noted. That's an interesting one because he's outside of cabinet. Um, probably an argument for putting Webb inside cabinet. He's you know he's, he's a good operator. He's a very successful lawyer. He's a smart guy, good yep. party man. Yeah. Um, he, so he'll be outside cabinet. Uh, Commerce and Consumer Affairs has been a very active portfolio mm. for Labor because they've really leaned on these market studies to kind of yep. get under the hood of problem in, or what they see as problem industries and and sort of apply the newfound interventionism um, that sort of has become you know much more acceptable sort of since COVID. And... It does seem strange. Commerce and commerce, first of all, commerce and consumer affairs used to be separate um, portfolios. Commerce always used to be a cabinet portfolio, and I think Craig Foss sort of rode it out of cabinet Mm. (laughs) in the key government. Mm. And since then, it's been the sort of outside and sometimes dipped in, but with you know when Chris Farfoy was doing it, and it's and it's become a sort of a minor portfolio, which. Doesn't really certainly doesn't reflect the importance and significance. Not that when it has you look at the government. action on supermarkets, the action on jib board mm. and other associated things. Annabelle. I was just going to say, I think um, from a Maori perspective, from you know what I've seen on social media, that um, there is a feeling that Nanaia Mahuta has been hard done by, mm-hmm. and you know it is a it is a big drop, and um, and while you could argue that it was a very pragmatic decision by Hipkins given that Three Waters has become really bogged down with sort of the racist rhetoric around it. Um, And Karen McNulty is obviously well-liked in the regions. Um, I think that many Māori see it as a bit of an insult to Nanaia and perhaps kowtowing to some of that rhetoric. I think, too, that... It was always going to be really difficult to manage those portfolios for the reasons that we've talked about. You know, MFAT requiring you to be requiring you to be out of the country while um, local government you need to be out in little here all the time. And I'm not sure that even by removing her from that portfolio, it will make the passage of Three Waters any easier. Uh, but it might it might shift the dial on what the debate is about. I think it was great to see um, Willow Jean um, becoming a minister outside of cabinet. You know, she's known for being meticulous, mm. really hardworking. She has massive support um, in her electorate. I do think there was a missed opportunity with her, and that she probably should have been given. Um, Minister for Treaty Settlements or Associate Minister for Treaty Settlements. A lot is made of people like Aisha Varel, who has a health background, or Karen McNulty, you know, in terms of being a farmer. But Willow Jean has worked in the treaty space for decades and has a fantastic reputation. So why you wouldn't appoint her to a role like that when there seems to have been quite little ground made over the last few years, I think is curious. Yeah, I mean, there is a question, and it came up when both when Kelvin Davis was the spokesperson in opposition on Crown Māori relations, and more recently, a couple of years ago, when Shane Letty said that he would, um, what was the, uh, I think was Treaty Negotiations uh, spokesperson for National, um, which is that a lot of these high profile and very experienced and very capable um, candidates for Treaty of Waitangi negotiations 
um, Anapui, <laughs> and the, the one the one big remaining settlement, um, you know, on the agenda. You know, the uh, settlements are about sort of eighty percent concluded or so, um, and a lot of that is sort of smaller ones or ones where progress is sort of stalled for various reasons. The, the big one is Napui, the you know the largest iwi by a long way. And you know there is the issue, and people have got different ideas about whether it count, whether it's a conflict. If you if you fuck up up in Napui, and then you would be the treaty negotiations minister and dealing with those issues, um, which is interesting because nobody says that about Pakeha ministers for the Crown, who are also you could argue have a conflict of interest by virtue of the fact that they a represent the Crown and are tangata tiriti. I mean, the crown is more. Does sort it of make it a conflict of interest the, yeah, the, for for people who have come from a, t- a particular industry or background to be ministers within those industries? Probably, if they remain part of that industry during the same time, this and this does come up with farmers, you know, sometimes, and you know, what can they be part of in terms of policy discussions? And so, you know, like a, it's, you know, I, I think there's arguments for both things, but it, I, but it was it was interesting that Ginny Anderson was named the Associate Minister for Treaty of Waitangi Negotiations because mm. one, it's not a portfolio where you often have associate ministers, mm. um, and second of all, really not clear what her background is in that space or what she would do as an associate. So, you know, who knows, watch the space. Um, come back to Three Waters, you know, the, we, we're we expecting in the kind of next uh, act in the, in the play will be the purging of the policies, having had the reshuffle complete. And there was some kind of eye out for any clues in this, but Willie Jackson retains uh, broadcasting media, so... And he gets, gets a promotion gets an to the, to the front bench, um, and and Nanaya, as widely predicted, no longer has local government. There's some discussion about whether or not it might presage some uh, watering down of the co-governance elements within Three Waters. The first bill has gone through, but there's still they could change things in it. I mean, there seem to be sort of a few mixed messages in terms of the level of attachment to the legislation as it stands. So Hipkins said we will not be dumping it, but we will be looking closely at it and there may be an opportunity for a reset, whatever the hell that means. Yeah, exactly. But But, but Hipkins goes, I think his first appointment at Waitangi would be in the Iwi Chairs Forum, which is uh, whenever it is, end of this week probably. And, you know, is he going to go there and say... Hello. Um, we thought we might just just change the wording here so that it's just just need to have a conversation with Iwi and appointing the. Well, I, I think it would. Will that wash? I, I think that there is a reason that he hasn't done the policy reset before he goes to Waitangi, mm. right? <laughs> and now there's a declaration. I've done work on three waters for clients, um, but. One of the interesting things, is, and I've been so I've been thinking about this. You know, how what do you do to reset or walk back or whatever three waters, right? In in the current form, to make it first of all acceptable to the critics, and second of all to achieve the goals that you're trying to achieve, and it's it's very hard. You know, I mean, I can understand why whoever's putting together the bullet points for Hipkins when he first becomes prime minister goes, oh, one of the things we'll do is we'll. Um, ameliorate three waters or we'll reset three waters or we'll 
tweak it or whatever. When you actually start getting into it, it's hugely complex and you try and figure out what could you could actually do. You can't dump it and they've, they've ruled that out because, you know, you already got $12 million contracts signed on yep. office buildings in Auckland. It, it would go CEOs down. CEOs appointed for the entities. Now. Would, they've spent about a billion bucks or yep. something, right? It, it would go down. It would make Kiwi Build look like, you know, a sort of, um, you know, a, a, aborted sort of, um, you know, film script or something in terms of the government waste, right? And the... It, it, you could talk about it's one of the fixes that's been suggested widely is sort of yeah you get rid of the regional representative groups which is that that the co-governance sort of part where you've got half council representatives half iwi representatives and you make the, and and they don't actually do the governance of the entity themselves they just appoint the board right but my understanding, or my read of what has previously been said, is that the operational separation, which was necessary to get the stuff off the council balance sheets, meant that you couldn't have purely councils, uh, you know, at any level, you know, of the of, of the organisation, sort of dictating strategic intent, etc. So, if you get rid of the RRGs, well, first of all, if you get rid of the RRGs, you don't have the council reps. So, presumably, you have an RRG that's you know, or the councils appoint everything. But then there's a question about that operational separation. So does the model still work? And because it's so, because it's so complex, it's almost it's like kind of playing Jenga with pocket knives, you know? It's any part that you take out is, you know, makes it incredibly difficult. Um, so, I mean, you know, I will be watching that space. And even then, if you do all that, if you don't placate some of the... People who have been hollering well, so, that so, it needs to change. Then you know, if they're like, well, that's just the same thing. And, and the then, thing is, then, to, and even if it does change in some way in substance, it's not the point, really, is it? The and, point is, well, the thing is, if the formal objection of the mayors and communities for local democracy in these groups is that it removes the community so-called ownership of the of the assets, right? So, in theory. The, pardon me, sorry. In theory, I love that. the the objection is not the co-governance, right? <laughs> In theory, the objection is the removal of ownership to these entities. Yes. Now, unpicking that is much, much, much more complex. So I don't think there's anything you can do that would actually get the approval of the critics at this stage. So I, you know, sort it out over a few beers, I guess, with Karen McNulty, but... Um, you know, I think that's going to be a very difficult one to back off from, unlike, say, the TVNZ, RNZ merger, where you basically just lose the cabinet paper behind a desk and then it's over. At Z, we're all about moving with the times. And now it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. As a company providing fuel to people all over the country, we also know we have a real opportunity to lead that change. We're committed to keeping Aotearoa moving by providing the right energy for everyone. We believe that innovation in fuel and how it's used can make a huge difference to our planet. Find out more at z.co.nz. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. All right. Uh, let's talk briefly about the polls. We had the rare treat of uh, simultaneous polls on One News and News Hub on, was it Monday evening, I think? And they were remarkably the same, weren't they? And that they uh, presented essentially a neck and neck 
state of play. They saw a pretty significant bump for Labour under Hipkins. They saw uh, the, the, the kind of block head-to-head, pretty much even Stevens, um, with National Act very slightly still ahead of uh, Labour Green. They shone the spotlight once again on Te Party Māori as a potential kingmaker, king chrismaker. And there were a few other interesting details in there, I thought. Interestingly, in the One News Cantar poll, the level of pessimism about the economy had dropped. I mean, people are still more pessimistic than they are optimistic, but uh, less pessimistic than they had been in November by, by, by a sufficient margin. The other one was not just the preferred prime minister, where Hipkins leads, uh, leads um, Luxem by a nose, but I don't know if you guys alighted on this, it was in the News Hub poll, there was a trust question, which I think more than anything will be the one that national strategists will be um, looking at closely, <laughs> which is, do you trust the leaders? 53% said yes for uh, Christopher Hipkins, 37% said yes for Christopher Luxon, uh, 27% no for Hipkins, 44% no for for Luxon. And that's that's a little bit of a worry, isn't it, Annabelle? It's if you're interesting, nine eh? months out from an election. It's interesting because it shows that like even though you may not support Hipkins, that you still trust him, like even if he's not your preferred prime minister, that you find him trustworthy. Whereas with Luxon, it's literally only the people that support him that find him trustworthy. I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, the polling in general shows that Labour did exactly the right thing um, at the beginning of the year, which, you know, following uh, Ardern's resignation, which was that tack towards the centre, you know, the cosy club, the... (laughs) Is um, the, the the working man from the hut? Uh, yes, and not just and, that, and, and, but also doing it so efficiently and so smoothly, yep. and without the bloodletting that recent years have taught us voters yep. hate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So he na- he nailed the messaging, but more importantly than that, voters have found the messaging credible. Coming from Hipkins, they genuinely believe that he's going to take a laser focus to. Um, cost of living, uh, he's going to, you know, dial back on co-governance, whatever that turns out to be, um, and, you know, distractions. You know, people believe, you know, look, he's focused on doing the job at hand. Now, the downside to that is that now there'll be an expectation that he does all that stuff and, you know, that yeah. n- nothing has changed. So people like the rebrand, right? But yeah. then what's what's inside the store is yeah, what that, that, That's right. The, the pressure is now on him to deliver that stuff and... You know, again, so what I just talked about, that's going to be, it's going to be harder to step away from three waters than I think people anticipate. It's going to be, uh, you know, in terms of how do we laser like come up with new ways to address the cost of living crisis when well, we saw today and stuff that they're planning on uh inc- you know increasing the duration of the fuel excise subsidy yeah i say uh, we're talking on the morning of wednesday february the first and there's an announcement at lunchtime in auckland and it's expected to be as you say a extension of the uh cut to fuel tax and public transport half price. And there's very uh, there's a number of economists, people like Brad Olson from Infometrics and Eric Crampton from the New Zealand Initiative who criticised that as a policy, saying that three times uh, the amount 
you know, goes to higher income earners um, through the fuel subsidy, then goes to lower income earners, and that direct cash transfers would be a better way of addressing this for low income earners um, because you get less sort of waste in terms of people who, you know, are obviously doing it harder than before but are not actually materially struggling. It's also an enormously popular. <laughs> Policy, oh, this, yeah, this is the thing. People <laughs> love like, it, right? Thanks, so, economists. But but it, yeah, it's it's certainly not. Um, it's it's not fresh thinking, right? It's policy that's been in place for almost a year now. Is it bread and butter? It is bread and butter, but it's it's not necessarily fresh thinking. Bread butter. They've still got to figure out, you know, rich, tasty petrol. <laughs> because bread and dips. The you've still got to figure out what to do when inflation, you know. I de- hopefully it's plateaued or peaked and it's coming down. But, you know, as I think Janae Tibshraini, uh, the uh, Wellington business editor for The Herald said, um, you know, the, the fi- fixing Auckland is going to, you know, that's going to you know, put more pressure on construction costs and capacity, some of the things that have been driving inflation. So, you know, none of this, none of the, the sort of external stuff has really changed. Um, and and so it's still going to be very difficult for Labour to actually pull off this rebrand. National still has uh, the luxury of sort of saying, well, things would be better if we were in charge, and not you know not being able to or not not having to you know actually be in the hot seat you know for the next nine months. We're nationally going to be worried though. Yeah, is there's that that trust rating and the falling net approval for Luxon. Um, they've obviously lost some momentum. And when I sort of think about it, I think they haven't really gotten any clear messaging out from the leadership of the party for a couple of months now. Mm. Um, the, there is this sort of pattern of, you know, Luxon will say things will either be misinterpreted or he misspoke and Nicola Willis will sort of sweep in behind and tidy yeah. it up. Um, and Willis herself got into a bit of trouble with the um, the minimum wage stuff. Mm. And, and the thing is, Previously, especially because you know Labour have been seen as not focused on cost of living, National haven't had to say what they would do concretely, except focus on cost of living. If Chris Hipkins says I'm going to focus on cost of living as well, well, it's you know Spider-Man pointing at each other. You've both got the same policy, which is to make everything better and easier for people. So then, then people start becoming interested in specifics, which is really annoying. (laughs) And (laughs) like, (laughs) and and I and I think and National, you know, they don't have the specific policies in a lot of cases right now. Yeah, so it'll probably drive them into more of a the policy role. It will have to. I mean, Annabelle, and and to some degree. You know, the, I think that there was, I'm not sure what when it was planned for, I can't recall, uh, uh, you know, the, normally in January we have sometimes the State of the Nation speeches, these set pieces, which, you know, don't have a whole lot of flesh on the bone, but Christopher Luxon maybe postponed his, I don't know. I mean, when you've got a crisis in, in Auckland, a weather crisis, then obviously the people who are elected as well and uh, take on leadership roles, and then also Wayne Brown does what he does. Um, but... You know, there's not been any oxygen for National, but do you think they will be rethinking with the new Prime Minister the way that they approach the year, whether or not a small target works, whether or not they need to be a bit more out front in delivering some policy detail earlier on in the piece? Yeah, I think towards the end of last year, they found some quite um, fertile ground that they were able to use to really hold the government's feet to the fire, like the ram raids, the cost of living. I think um, 
it's going to be difficult to maintain the narrative around that. And so I, I think potentially we could see them starting to um, gingerly float some potential policy ideas so that they can start speaking to their, to their own agendas. Let's talk about Auckland. Annabelle, Friday night, I was in the Bay of Plenty and just scrolling my phone, just looking at social media, and it was very clear to me, looking at the photos that people were posting, just some normie, not even in the city, that what was happening. It didn't seem obvious to officialdom. The mayor was nowhere. Uh, the emergency authorities were pretty much nowhere. Waka Kotahi logged off. I mean, what a shit show. Yeah. Yeah, but I was driving back from Swanson at three in the afternoon and it was it was like a really scary drive just trying to get back to Point Chef from there. It was so, the rain was so heavy and I'm sure at that point the warning bells must have been going off, you know, somewhere. Apparently not though. But I think it kind of speaks to this weird culture that we have in New Zealand when it comes to these emergency situations, it's almost like we get so caught up in red tape that we're not able to respond. It's sort of like what happened with Ficardi when, you know, people weren't allowed to, to you know, when the emergency responders were, like, turned away from the island or Pike River or those sorts of things. We're almost so risk-averse in risky situations that, that nothing happens. Except if Phil Goff... Hardly a man renowned for, you know, hall-filling charisma had been Mayor of Auckland at the time. Would he not have done the basic requirements of a municipal leader in such a situation, which is communicating with people, providing the very latest information, forgetting for a second even about the declaration of the state of emergency, which became the hook onto which everything was hung, Absolute. Giving people a sense of assurance, but also being curious, also saying I'm seeking answers. Yeah, I'm f trying to find stuff out because I'm the person who has access to all the different authorities because I'm the fucking mayor. And yet when he appears, when he does eventually appear in the media, and, you know, I mean, who cares about whether he hates the media or the media hates him, when he eventually appears, his answers to questions like, is the water safe to drink, like, where text messages sent out is, I don't know. I think, um, yeah, absolutely he would ha would have, but I think that the, the best example of how a mayor should perform in a crisis situation was Bob Parker, you know, who was always front and centre, yep. really clear messaging, you know, comforting, um, all of those things. And... Um, but clearly that is not within Brown's skill set or even in his own opinion of what his his role is. And it's all fine to be a Mr. Fixer as he sold himself. But, you know, being a mayor isn't just about telling people where a, a wharf should be. It's about being able to respond and provide leadership in these situations. And on that front, he's failed abysmally. Ben, you worked for Wayne Brown during the campaign. Yep. Uh, you, have, you haven't 
since shortly after the campaign, as mm-hmm. I understand it. So yep. I don't know how much you want to get into this particular issue. Obviously, he uh, had a moment in terms of his electability. It was a very good campaign. Uh, it spoke to concerns Aucklanders had. But what's happened? Why? 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 why, why I mean, he, he obviously really hates the media, and like, like, fine, <laughs> like, fine, right? You know, whatever. Drongos is quite sweet. I quite like Drongos. You know, that's quite sweet. But he seems sort of obsessing to be obsessing on this thing about whether he's been treated, you know, rather than being able to just step up and above and speak to to the people more broadly. Yeah, in terms of the initial response, look, I, I don't know. It totally passed me by as well. I was, um, well, I you're he- not the mayor. I, I, I headed out at about 5.45 p.m. on Friday and I, I knew that, you know, there had been a warning issue to stay safe out there or something. And so I thought, okay, I'll drive to the conditions. Um and, you know, I didn't really realise the extent of it. You know, I thought it was a rainy night on K Road, you know, but um, I didn't realise the extent of what it sort of was happening. Are you sure you're not still advising I'm, the mayor? To be fair, the top of a ridge where no, the yeah. water runs down both sides, so you're probably like in the safest place in Auckland. Uh, no, that's right. And there were torrents of water coming down, you know, sort of next to my house, sort of down to whatever is beneath my house. Don't know, not interested. Um, and so I did a bit of like parkour to get to my car, but you know, I thought, oh, it's just heavy rainfall, you know, so I didn't actually realize, you know, about all the flooding and stuff until I was like perusing TikTok later that night. And, um, this, this seems to have been a real problem, right? The, the emergency, I, for what it's worth, I believe his worship, (laughs) you know, Wayne Brown, when he says that he didn't. Uh, you know, he wasn't made aware of it. Um, because How can I've, that be, I've, though? Well, because, because other, because other councillors were all over social media posting all sorts of yeah, different be, messages. Be, and you don't need, like, the head of the emergency response to tell you what's up. Like, he could literally have just come out and said, everyone, for a start, try and stay out of the floodwaters. Like, he no, could no, have used is, the, his no, no, socials no, yeah, for this, basic this, messaging, like no, but common this, sense this is stuff. the thing. Like, I, I actually believe there was an information gap, you know, in that kind of critical period up to... What you Does he not have but, windows? Before, before can he, can he not, like, look out the window well, and yeah, be like, um, shit's getting real? Yeah. It, okay, when I, when I worked in Parliament, right, for... When I, um, I think we we come back early from a holiday or something, and uh, Finlayson, my boss, was the duty minister at the time, and there was a quite there was a quake somewhere in New Zealand, and as the duty minister, you know, suddenly we had DIA officials rushing up to sort of escort him to the bunker, you know, there's stuff being put out in front of him, and you know, and then we sat there for about half an hour, and there's nothing to do, and then we got sent away, <laughs> you know, but I, but I think in terms of the emergency responses. Wayne couldn't do, do that, Ben, because I, Wayne didn't go to the office until four I, o'clock. I think, you pro- I think you probably do assume that you know. Well, I, I I've always assumed that the emergency, you know, the emergency sort of service people, you know, because you always see them in the emergencies. And you're like, these are people are superhuman. They know all about what's happening. They have you know earthquake sensors you know, around the country or whatever. Um, you know, I, I have numerous correspondents who will, you know, who have worked at the council before and will, you know, seem to take an interest in telling me their thoughts on the <laughs> new mayor's progress. And the con- the consensus does actually seem to be that the emergency management division of the council is not great. Um, that I mean, look, that doesn't. That of course, both things can be true, can't they? Yeah, both, that's both, right. both things I mean, can be true. I think, yeah. I think the fact that we that that a, that, a, that an emergency alert, the great howl in the pocket, 
the flashing light mobile phone thing emerged 48 hours later when there was something mm. else coming on, you know, which was definitely of a lower magnitude than what was mm. going down on Friday. That, that, that clearly, like, what something was not going on. It's good that the mayor has said there will be a review. It's good that he said that review will include every part of the operation, including his. The trouble was that after he read that really quite dignified statesman-like statement out that I suspect somebody else had written for him, he then got back into a shouting match Can with I the media. Can I say the most bizarre thing about the press conference on Saturday was the deputy mayor, like, dragging him away by oh the God. arm? That was oh so God. weird. Oh, my God. I'm like, Auntie, oh what's up? Also, Desley Simpson, by the way, has been on all the radio stations, just going and sort of patiently answering the question. Like that's that's such kind of shitty thing to do. But just sometimes being present is important. You know, one of the other things yeah. that I was reminded of when all this was going on, and this is, you know, it's it's the comparison isn't perfect. But do you remember when there were I think there were floods in, in Northland, and John Carter did this incredible bit on the radio, the mayor at the time. With that was Catherine the tsunami Ryan. warning. It was the it? tsunami warning. Yeah, yeah. And he was driving round the small towns and the Jude, Jude, going, you got to yeah, get up the hill. <laughs> you know, no, no, forget your milk. Go and get up the hill. No, no, no. Yeah, no, I'm just going. And it was like that. That's. I mean, I'm. I don't. I don't. You know. I, I, I agree. Wait, 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 Wayne should have of, texted the tennis group <laughs> chat. Then it would have gotten out pretty well. Yeah. Well, yeah. Been, <laughs> but like, the, the, there's sometimes that stuff isn't. He said, "I shouldn't be out there emptying buckets." Like, well, maybe you should, mate, because. If you're a leader, sometimes you lead by example. Beyond that, you also, even when this bad stuff is happening behind you, so taken, I, I believe him too, that he wasn't advised in the right way, but what was he doing? Was he not demanding questions? And then the other thing you do, and I don't think this is very complicated, if you're a leader, you take responsibility. And even if it's not, you know, it doesn't mean that you go, oh, oh it doesn't mean that you specifically are responsible for everything. You take responsibility as a leader. You say, things didn't go right. I take responsibility for that and I will be demanding answers in the hours and days to come. The other thing too that makes, that kind of shook my confidence was during the the bizarre press conference when he kept pulling up the guy from, is it emergency services yeah, the, and the, the other dude and it seemed like they, yeah. they, right. they, they, they their priority wasn't really about yeah. explaining what was going on, it was about covering Wayne's butt and it's like hang on, what, are you guys here to Take care well, of that's, take, ch- take ch- care Chimathi's of us, or are you here to like placate? Who's a very good PR person? Um, she noted on Twitter, I think, after that first press conference, you know, the one late at night at eleven twenty PM on was it around the end of Friday. She said, "It seems like the mayor is addressing his critics on Twitter rather than the people of Auckland." Mm. And I thought that sounded right. And then I was like, he doesn't know about Twitter. And then (laughs) I think the next morning, I think I read on the spinoff that he said, well, you know, I do what the experts advise me, not what people on Twitter want. And then I was like, who the hell told him about Twitter? Who printed out tweets and put them in front of them? This is the worst thing you can do for any politician is like tell them about what, you know, what Twitter is saying. That is absolutely true. But the other side of this is that it's, you know, and and people, Twitter is terrible. Social media is terrible. Okay, accept it. But at a time like this, you realise where where and when it's really useful. Because if he had an established account, even if it was dormant, even if it was someone else, then he would have been able to issue short messages without having to appear on the radio Mm. on Friday night and throughout, channeled through a communications person saying, I'm aware of these things. For the moment, check these websites. We will be providing more answers soon. And then that is disseminated, radiated around through the community. It's really valuable. Chloe, Chloe Swarbrick, the 
the MP for Auckland Central sort of had had stopped using Twitter because it had become so horrible and people were such so awful. But she, you know, revived her account, and started using it for those basically those kind of civil defence purposes. I think the thing is, if you if you hadn't like ever seen Wayne Brown in action before and that press conference was your first time watching him, which could be the case because what does he refuse, like 102 media requests oh, or something? the first month. In the first month. But um, he actually seems to not have the capability to communicate clearly or effectively. Like there was those strange long pauses between different things and he's sort of poking at his iPhone and getting befuddled and for most people that probably was quite surprising but actually if you'd paid attention during the mayoral election campaign he's not really that different to what he was like then he just had a bit more swag because he wasn't what being genius, held responsible some must be for anything. that managed to get him elected then right I mean I think that's a fair I do think that's a fair comment and he you know he's look, he was pretty open during the campaign you know he characterized it as you know I'm not going to be a mayor who's at every opening and kissing babies and things like that and I think that there was a metaphor, a figure of speech, for the broader kind of... <laughs> for basic requirements of leadership? The, the, the kind of, yeah, I mean, the communications, the public communications role is not one that he relishes or has sort of comparative strengths in. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely so critical, true. And I think but it's so critical, that. though. You know, oh, yeah, at times like this, absolutely part of leadership. Is, yeah. And, you know, I, I think that there was something... <sighs> It was almost it was almost like the the storm on Friday was kind of like um like an Ocean's Eleven style heist or something. You know, it waited until the change in shifts of Wakakotahi and council workers yeah. and AT and whoever. And and it seems that everyone was either knocking off and being like, oh, well, four motorways are closed, TJIF, see you all on Monday. It was, um, yeah, I mean, Duncan put it this way, I think, in a piece he wrote that it was like the ultimate Friday news dump. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> Nature going, <laughs> look, it's January, uh, people, it's a long weekend coming up, people have fucked off to the beach, to whatever, let's, let's, let's go. I think this is going to, be a very long three years for Wayne Brown because because the storm has just like opened up a bit of a Pandora's box. Like we knew that you know he'd already said that he wasn't going to work weekends and that sort of stuff, but now that it's come out that he has like a regular tennis match booked in every Friday during working hours and he's like didn't roll into the office until four o'clock. I think that that's going to peak the media's curiosity and they're just going to start I'm digging deeper and deeper and deeper and the interview requests will start coming in I think he <laughs> I think he I think I he really w- underestimated the demands of of the job and I mean that's the other thing is the kind of you know the, if if he's if he's sort of eschews all this nonsense this fancy empathy rubbish you know he's he's an operator behind the scenes operator well, he's mm. the behind the scenes operator who seems to not have the trust of his most loyal 15 grumpy, grumpy old, old men, men Westmere tennis group. Apparently chat. there's a grumpier and old man than him David, who elected to the media. Rings up David Fisher, doesn't say we're off the record, and starts going on about, you know, how everything's deals and all this sort of, you know, I mean, it's just, by the way, can we, the grumpy old men uh, WhatsApp chat group, 
for the Westmere Tennis Club. Apparently there's, you know, there's recriminations and retributions going on in there now. I think that's the next Knives Out movie. As <laughs> the grumpy old men, mm. Westmere Tennis Club group chat, WhatsApp, all go to the Chateau, Tongariro, and try and work out who was the leaker. You know, the thing about... Only one grumpy old man emerges alive. People are imagining this sort of brave whistleblower, you know, who's turning (laughs) against his class interests or whatever. I, 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 like, have this real sneaking suspicion that, like, probably about half an hour before David Fisher got the screenshots, there were probably a few unanswered texts going, like, Brownie, can you can you send around the council boys to the front? Oh, there's a bit of, bit, of shit, bit of shit on the street. Well, yes. You know, v- Vicky Ev's getting a bit clogged up. Can you divert the army? If anyone, <laughs> in, if anyone in Russia is listening, please provide us with the full <laughs> transcripts of the grumpy old men Westmere Tennis Club. I was group watching chat. that press conference on Saturday and, like, Hipkins staring up at Brown like, oh my God, and how like annoyed Karen McNulty and Michael Woods looked. And I know, I know, but Wood has the best poker face in the business. Um, he was just impassive, unmoving. It looked like, no, but it wasn't impassive though, because they both all looked like they were trying to be impassive. Like you could see the effort that was going in <laughs> to keeping their like faces impassive. Who smile really but hard. you know what? <laughs> There's a little bit of kaitoa in this for Labour because, you know, Auckland is such a critical city and critical to Labour too. And they really took their eyes off the ball during the, the mayoral campaign and should have put a lot more support around a vessel if they wanted their guy to come through, and they didn't, and now they have to reap what they sowed in terms of um, Wayne's leadership. And and Wayne Brown is certainly right that he got a mandate and that he won convincingly, and Aucklanders put him in that role, and he's got a lot of work to do to turn things around. Should we wrap it up? Hope everyone is uh, as safe as they can be, those that are in Auckland and other parts of the country that are affected in North and Tauranga and everywhere else. Hope you're all right. Lots of love. Chat next time. Thanks to members, especially by... Kia ora e te iwi. Kia Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.